See, a lot of people don't know this about the trading floor environment. While it may be in a large financial institution, in and of itself, it's a very entrepreneurial atmosphere because it's like tons of small little businesses being run by a handful of people okay. all in this big environment. And so we're responsible for wearing multiple hats in each of these businesses to market it, to grow it, to manage the finances. You're doing everything and you're working hard. But it's great experience. And BMO, they really were about fostering that idea of autonomy, but that idea of, hey, we want your ideas, bring them to the table, and fostering that entrepreneurial mindset. And then the not-for-profit that I started, which was about the same time. And so all of these things have come together, and it's quite fantastic to culminate into what I'm doing today. And I'm using all the skills and experience that I've built in my entire life and career. It's incredible. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. And if you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show so you'll learn about all of our upcoming episodes, listen to some previous ones, and enter our latest golf product giveaway contest. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Eileen Jerzak, who is the founder and CEO of Exonic Golf. Exonic Golf is the first female-founded golf technology startup in Canada and one of the first two in North America. Exonic creates and builds solutions for the golf industry using technology to improve the player experience for all golfers. Now, I can tell you a little bit more, but you know what? I'm going to save that for Eileen to tell us all about the good things that Exonic are doing. But before we get started with that, hey, Eileen, thanks so much for joining me today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks, Colin. Really happy to be here. Big fan of the podcast and, of course, the video series. Ah, well, thank you so much. Yeah, we got things going on our YouTube channel, which we will follow up afterwards. Uh, our conversation, we will extend that and use that to find out more about the future of where you're going with Exonic Golfing yourself. So, yes, I encourage all of our listeners here to also become viewers on the Mod Golf YouTube channel. And we do include the link to that in the show notes at the end. So, hey, Eileen, to get started here, I always like to ask this icebreaker question, and that is your connectivity to golf. So, tell us how old you were in, in that situation the first time you ever picked up a golf club who introduced you to the game and made it welcoming for you and perhaps also share one magical moment maybe a shot you hit or something you saw that puts a smile on your face with golf sure yeah i was probably two years old when i first picked up a golf club uh not to play though my grandmother used to babysit me on the golf course golf is in the family so my grandmother would be out there with her playing partner betty who was her big partner i remember and they'd plop me in the middle of the two of them on the golf cart and off they'd go and <laughs> there were rules i could only get out when they were on the putting green i was allowed to play in the traps but i had to rake the trap uh -huh. after i was done and as soon as they were ready to leave the putting green i had to get back in the cart so I was introduced to the pace of play thing early on. <laughs> and, but yeah, and probably had a golf club in my hand at five when I started taking lessons. That's been a lifelong uh, love and passion of mine. As far as your second question around a great golf moment. So I've had two holes in one in wow. my golf career. If that wasn't enough, what's, what's even greater about the story is both holes in one were on the same 17th hole at the golf course that I play at. And it was 17 years apart on the exact same weekend. Wow. So so now everyone says, you got to come back in 17 years on the same weekend and, and see if I can get my third on the same hole. <laughs> the same the hole, seven. you have two. And how long was that, that par three hole? I think I took a, a six iron from 160 yards. Yeah. Same club both times? Six iron both times? 
Yeah, probably, probably. There we go. 160 <laughs> hours. Well, that is definitely legit. I, I have a little joke going here with some of the things we do on the YouTube channel. I shoot video at the local pitch and putt here in Vancouver at Kalina Bizworth Park. And I've had three hole-in-ones there. So I put it out there. It's like, do those count as hole-in-ones? And people are like vehement. No, they do not. It's a pitch and putt. If it's less than 100 yards. And I'm, <laughs> and for me, it's like I say, I don't have any hole-in-ones. I've got three hole-in-ones with a little asterisk beside it twice on uh, the length that you had where I've left it like inches shorter. It's gone around the other side of the cup. And it's like, how did that not go in? I guess it's fair to say that I've yet had a hole-in-one because a lot of people argue about this very passionately that I do not have. <laughs> I am not the owner of a hole-in-one, but you have two. So that's that's amazing. So I'm really interested with your background here, Eileen. I've seen that you've had a career in finance with Bank of Montreal, BMO Financial, the director of BMO Capital Markets, uh, your background with MBA and machine learning for business. And before that, also as an engineer with your Bachelor of Engineering from Western University. So Let's start there. How do you combine what you've done in finance, business, engineering, machine learning, of course, your background in love and passion for golf, where you can do anything you want to do in your life, go in any direction. Why did you decide to then create a golf app to help all golfers with Exonic Golf? So tell us that story where it first came in your mind and you decided, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Well, just a little bit of context there. So I've always felt, certainly as I've grown in my business career, that at some point I, I did want to start my own for-profit business. I have actually founded my own non-for-profit business. That was in okay. 2015, and that's still growing and going well. And also, we can chat about that later, but certainly a great testing ground for entrepreneurs if you want to get started on learning about business in a relatively risk-free environment in the volunteer space. But starting there, I always knew I wanted to do something, but what would it be? What on earth would you start the business? For? So interestingly enough, one day I happened to be playing golf, as I often do, because I love the game. I was slicing my ball. Never forget it. I was in like the 14th hole. I was started slicing my ball out of the middle of nowhere. And I'm a roughly about a 10 handicap. I have a natural draw. And I've been playing golf and taking lessons my whole life. I could not figure out for the life of me what on earth. I would try this. I tried that. And in that moment, I said, you know, I know it's something small. Right. You know, I know it's just some small adjustment I have to do, and I'm just not figuring it out. And if I just had like a caddy with me or something that knew my swing, I could say, oh, yeah, just for your swing, try this. I bet you I would have been fine and I wouldn't have struggled for the rest of my game and come in probably three shots higher than I needed to. Right. And so right, right. that's where the seed of the idea came. And of course, by that point in my life, I had been working on the trading floor for many years at BMO and I had been introduced to artificial intelligence in that scope of things. So obviously not with sports, mm -hmm. but it's AI nonetheless. The two came together and I said, wait a second, I, I wonder if there's a product here. I wonder if we could bring AI and this passion for golf. That would be a dream come true if I could start a golf-related business. And sure enough, there was lots of work that went on from that point to where we are today. But let's just say along the way, I've taken a very staged, measured approach to everything, making sure that I wasn't getting in over my head and doing something that I shouldn't be continuing to do it. You know, in right. other words, this is going to make money. This makes sense for you to keep going. And that's where we are today. So it turns out that we've got a good product on our hands. I uh, can't wait to hear more about it. Should yeah. you tell our, our listeners what it is exactly you have created and are, are continuing to build and iterate on in advance with Exonic Golf. So I'm curious to learn this. I know as entrepreneurs, myself as an entrepreneur, a lot of the missteps that I made early on of not knowing what I didn't know, of going in different directions and focusing on certain areas and getting the sequencing wrong. It sounds like you 
were very methodical about your approach here, just from what I can see here. On the trading floor, like you said, you were exposed to uh, artificial intelligence, seeing the power of that, of the algorithm, be able to then tie into machine learning. It sounds like then you went back to business school and then focused academically on machine learning. So did you already have the idea of Exonic Golf or what it could be and then went back to learn more academically on the machine learning part so you can then apply that and understand that? So tell us about the journey there of before your aha moment you already described to the lead up to the build and the creation and then the launch of Exonic Golf. Exactly. Yeah. So the aha moment came before the machine learning course, but I already knew about some fundamentals in the AI space and about machine learning, but not in the sports context. Computer vision, didn't know much about that. So I had to do all that research and learn about all that a lot on my own, but then I realized I needed more education on that front to make sure I built that side up just beef it up and know, know more about the ins and outs to help with the design of the system. So that's why I went back and pursued that. But that wasn't until after I did all my customer discovery questions and interviews to make sure that this was worth doing. And then I knew that, okay, I have to dive in full field and beef up my education on that side. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you touched on customer discovery there and as entrepreneurs, and I've seen this a lot with the work that I do with Startup Canada and Startup Vancouver here. Some entrepreneurs get so far ahead of themselves. And the last thing you want to do is create a product or a service or experience that's on time, on budget that nobody wants. So Mm -hmm. tell us about that. Once you had the aha moment, the pain points that you personally were experienced there as you're slicing the ball, how do you go about to then discover or validate your assumptions that there was a market for this? This is the price point. This is how it can scale. This is a viable business, not just something cool that maybe some people would have if they wouldn't have to pay for it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So uh, that was the first thing I needed to validate was just to make sure that I wasn't the only one who a had this problem. I was pretty sure I wasn't the only golfer with this problem. <laughs> I've been golfing my whole life. And yeah, you, yeah. You, every time you golf with people, they're like, Eileen, what am I doing wrong? Am I lifting my head again? I don't know. I knew, but I wanted to make sure I did everything properly and that I looked at things as objectively as I possibly could, because that's how you do business and do it well. I reached out, I got a large pool of golfers, ages 19 to 85, handicapped six to 42, roughly half, half male, female. So I was really trying to get a huge, broad range of, of input from people. Initially, when I reached out to these golfers, So I did interviews, in-person interviews. So they were with well-structured questions going into them and didn't touch on the product at all. Just got a sense of, yeah, when you're out there, what are the things you struggle with? What are your pain points? Typical customer discovery. And so sure enough, out of all that, I won't won't give you all the data, but the key points out of it was 100% of the golfers I talked to struggled with the same or new issues in their game every time. Every time they played, there was something. And 83% of those tried to fix that while they played their game on the golf course. I'm one of those people. Right. <laughs> and because four to five hours, depending on when you play, is a long time to be frustrated and struggling with something. So, oh, yeah. And then 57% of those 83% said they'll get so frustrated, they'll turn to whoever they're playing with and go, what am I doing? And ask for advice on fixing their game. That's when I knew, okay, we're good. The idea, the premise of this product is good, but I didn't stop there. Once that was validated, about a month later, 
I went back, I wanted to give them some time. And I went back to the same pool of people. And this is by this point now I had started the machine learning course. Right. And so now I'm starting to flush out what the product, how it's going to work, how it's going to be put together, how it's going to be presented just at a very top level. So then the second set of questions was going to help me develop that further. And so I went back to them with various different ideas and iterations of products that would address the issue to get a sense of, even though I had one idea of what I wanted the product to be, could be this, could be this, and trying to get a sense from people what appealed to them the most, first, second, third option, and would they pay for something like that? So that's where I went with the second round of questions. And so again, as you said, very measured approach, and that's, that's what I did. My understanding here of looking at the website, and, and I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but seeing what you offer, one of your real differentiators from some of the other apps that are out there is that quick fix or quick tip caddy tool where a lot of them like Sportsbox AI, which their female-led company was Jihei Lee, who I'm friends mm-hmm. with and had her on the podcast. Yeah, That's more great. for on the range or off-course experience to, to improve. But you are on the course in the middle of your round. What do I need to fix? So tell us about this that revealed itself that this was what I can see your secret sauce here with Exotic Golf. So mm-hmm. tell us about that customer journey. I'm on the course. I'm playing today. I'm a 17 handicap. Things often go wrong and have a couple of blow (laughs) holes and I have some swings or my, my quick fix now the other day was I hit my three hybrid off the fairway and I snap hooked it three times in a row. And my quick fix is you ain't coming out of the bag anymore today. You are, (laughs) you're going in the corner because you've been a bad club and left it at that rather than what can I do to fix that? So yeah, tell us a bit about that. As you said, the customer journey. So the way we've done this is we've built the system, the AI systems built around something called your swing signature. We call it your overall swing signature. And yes. so the premise around that is that golfers don't actually change their overall swing signature very often. It's rare. It's not impossible. It, it does happen. Tiger Woods certainly has done it with lots of coaching and many yes. hours of practice. So it's not impossible. It's just that so many amateur golfers think, oh, no, I'm changing it every swing, every hole. I said, no, no, your overall swing has not changed from hole number one to hole number three. We all have a natural way we walk. You have a natural way you swing a club. Each person has a unique way. What's changed is small things. Yeah, maybe a little more knee flex or your wrist or you've done something with your hand. These types of things. So it's not your overall fundamental swing that's changed. It's, just, it's small things. That's what this addresses, right? It's not a swing coach or a training tool. There are other tools out there that do that very well. This is not that. You do the videos of your swing once when you set it up. So it gets the snapshot of, okay, this is how Colin swings his club. And then when you're on the course, all it is, is you click what your club is. You have to tell it what issue you have. So if you snap hooked it, that would have been a pull hook. And then it gives you an instant PGA professional quick fix for your swing. Now there's thousands of fixes and tips in the system by many PGA pros, but the system has been designed to only present you with the top few that have been identified as the most likely best ones for you. But it goes further than that. The other key thing of the tool is it learns. So as soon as you try it, you give it the feedback if it helped you or not, because biomechanics, the analysis of your swing biomechanics is only one part of the equation. We all process information differently, right? You and I, could have the exact same swing, let's just say, and we both snap hook it and we could go to the same golf pro who gives us both the same piece of advice. And for some reason, you get it and it works fine for you, but it doesn't work for me. Still good advice, 
we've incorporated that nuance into the system. So it's not just about your swing biomechanics, very important your swing biomechanics, but it's also about how you process information. So that gets fed into the system continuously as you use it. So the system just gets better and better at giving the advice. And then we also add new PGA pros and fixes and tips every season. So it's continuously refreshing and updating. It's just an amazing system. Love this. It sounds to me like if I'm on the golf course and I do pull hook it, I go on my phone, enter that, it gives me something very quickly. I'm not overwhelmed with information. I embrace technology on the golf course, whether it's using Arco sensors or other things Mm -hmm. that I do. One of the things I don't like is when it distracts me Mm -hmm. from the playing experience, whether it's interacting with people in the foursome or just even enjoying the sights and the sounds and the smells out there. And if I'm stuck on my phone looking at it the whole time, moving things around, that Mm -hmm. takes away from the experience, probably annoys other people too. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like I can then get information very quickly. I'm assuming I just get some tips or then you get a short little video or what do I actually get from the pro as far as what I should do as a quick fix to my hybrid snap hook problem. Right. So all it is, it's a quick tip. So it's eight word sentence on a screen. Initially, we did ask if people wanted video and and most people said no. They said it would be too distracting, as you said, and it would uh, upset their playing partners. In fact, that was what everyone loved about it. They said in the beta testing, and of course now we're live and everyone who's using it says the same thing. We love that it's so simple. It's so quick to use. You get your instant tip in like two seconds, you read it and you put the phone away. It's not meant for every shot. I often say to people, it's not a video game. It's a tool. It's like your range finder, except you don't use it as often as your range finder. You use it when you need it, not every shot. You're not going to need it every shot. It's not for pure beginners because you're getting advice that you have to know what the butt of the club is. There's golf terminology. You need to at least be able to understand what it's saying to you. That pure beginners may not be there. A high handicapper who's played for many years, great. That's totally fine. We had high handicappers using it last summer, 10 times around, maybe they used it. Everyone goes, oh, high handicappers will want to use it every shot. No, they don't. They've been using it. They tell me, we get the feedback. So it's not disrupting people's games. And me personally, I use it three to five times around. It depends on the game. So what have you found with the feedback as far as the proof that it works? So you hit a bad shot, whether it's a slice and then you get the quick fix Do you find the feedback more times than not? Or what percentage do you have the next time you hit the same shot with the same club that that problem is fixed because of the tip? So what type of feedback loop are you getting on that? That's the beauty of this app is you know right away if it's helping you or not. I'll give you a couple of examples. Earlier on in the season, again, me and that slice, I sliced for the first two holes and it was like almost every shot. So I'm like, okay, obviously I've got some problem today and it's not going away. Right. Uh, today, for some reason. I don't know why. So as I was walking up to the third hole, and I don't have my phone out either. I rarely take it out. I'm not on my phone all the time. But this is so easy to use. I have it right in my pocket, take it out. I pressed my driver, slice. I got an instant tip, put it away. I didn't slice for the rest of the round. If I had only used it that one time the whole game, I would have been a happy person. I used it, I probably ended up using a couple more times, but right, that one right. time made it worth my while. I was like, great, because I couldn't imagine how many holes slicing my ball. I just, I would have probably stopped after nine <laughs> instead of going to the range, but I didn't have to. I ended up having a great day. Another example I had, this was last summer. It's good because it's a different type of example. 
because we have fixes in there, not just by ball flight, but by swing dynamics, because everybody has a different idea of what issues they have and how they think of an issue. And so, for instance, on one hole, I was coming down in my downswing and I could feel myself swaying forward, right. like ahead of the ball, which you don't want to do. And I just couldn't stop it. I just couldn't mm. stop doing it. So I looked it out, uh, iron, and it was happened to be on my irons. It was on my fairway shots and I got a quick fix, stopped doing it. It was repetition. Like I was having the issue constantly for a few shots. So I knew this was an issue that wasn't going away. Right. Right. And, and then it went away. I read the tip, I tried the tip and I didn't do it again and it helped. And I was hitting the ball well. So you get instant feedback, you know, right away when it's helping you. Good stuff. So you launched Exonic Golf when? Tell us that, please. January 2021. But yeah, we were working on stuff well before then. Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that journey of getting your product from that ideation stage to, we talk about things about rapid prototyping and how we quickly and agile try different things. A minimum viable product where you don't want every single feature you're imagining. You just get the core ones that you've got some good feedback that people really want and get it into market rather than waiting, waiting, waiting to make it air quotes, perfect, which it never is, as we know with mm -hmm. products or entrepreneurship, you just have to get it out there and quickly iterate as you go. So when you launched, or let's say even before that, I'm very curious to learn as far as your team, where did you go? You had not only the idea, you've got the business and finance marketing acumen that you're able to figure this out in the price point and the market size. Mm -hmm. And then also on the technical side, was this a team of one or how did you then expand your team to bring in other people so you're not doing absolutely everything? This is the entrepreneurial conundrum, right? It's you want to do as much as you can, but you can't be good at everything and you can't clone yourself. So talk about that. How did you then reach out for help, whether it was advisors, mentors, get other people on the technical team to start to help you as you expanded before you launched? So tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that, of how you approach that as a founder to then empower other people and, and make those decisions at certain times to bring in the right people at the right time. From my whole professional career, yeah, no one can do it on their own. It's impossible. <laughs> you can't be successful thinking you can do anything on your own. Just in some examples, even if you were executing things on your own, you always need help. You need input, advice. You, no one knows it all. To think that you do is you're in trouble with that. Mm -hmm. You will not succeed. So yeah, from the beginning through every part of my career and has been no different now, advisors, mentors, consultants have been engaged business, of course, now golf as well. Every step of the way from the seed of the idea stage up till now, it continues. Feedback from customers and users, constantly important. And then as far as the, the working team, I, certainly I have a team of golf pros that are on board and we've got a great tech team now, a marketing team, great team of lawyers. You need those when you're, when you're doing <laughs> anything in business uh, to do with patents and technology, of course, and trademarks and all of that. Absolutely not doing it alone. I have a great team, many teams, I guess you could say, and individuals part of the ecosystem and thank all of them as much as I can, because I couldn't do it on my own. Wonderful. So on the financial side of getting Exonic Golf up and running, you're putting a lot of sweat equity. Sounds like you're probably bootstrapping this yourself. Sounds like you've managed to put a couple of dollars away from your career uh, with BMO Capital Markets. And before that, 
What was your strategy for funding this? Did you go and do a seed round raise? Did you do it yourself and bootstrap it? You got customers, so you're self-funded and still own 100% of it. So tell us about that journey, because I know that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially women entrepreneurs, when they start, you know, they don't feel comfortable asking for help and they don't want to inconvenience people. So talk about that and also through the lens as a female founder in a women-led company. Talk to us a little bit about that as, as how you managed to, as you say, extend your runway financially there to get Exonic Golf into market so you can start generating revenue and take it to the next level. Absolutely. Well, I think any investor will say that they want to see you invest some of your own money in the mm-hmm. company. It shows you've got skin in the game. So that's certainly in my case, but we do. We already have a couple of investors and that we got uh, those on board last year. That's helped get us to where we are now and grow and we have sales now, but it's, a, it's competitive out there. You And it's, there's a big marketplace and lots of, lots of noise, a marketing promotion, all of that it takes capital. So we are this fall, winter, we'll be reaching out to actually do another seed round funding, bringing on some additional investors. But again, I say to people, I'm not looking for just anyone to give us money. It's not that it's not helpful. It's just not as helpful as it can be. What you want is a strategic investor, people who bring things to the table that is beyond just the financial, uh, other expertise or connections or networks that can be leveraged for growth. But growth is on the radar here. And we're hoping to keep things going and keep the momentum that we've built moving forward. Yes, yes. So my math is correct. You launched about 18 months ago. So tell us a little bit about the traction that you had just as far as the growth month by month, as far as the number of users you have, the downloads, and I guess the more important analytic is active users rather than just downloads. So tell us about that. Tell us about the trajectory and the traction that you've established so far with Exonic Golf. Right. So I'm not sure how common it is for people to divulge their actual user base. What I can say, just from a competition standpoint, I'm sure competitors are listening to this uh, podcast as well. But what I can say is from the get-go, it's been growing organically and growing on a steady pace. We're all over the world in terms of traction. Well, I shouldn't say all over the world. We haven't launched in Asia yet because we want to translate the app, right? Right. We could have done it, but we made the decision that it doesn't make sense. You can't be everything to everyone. Off the bat, you want to be strategic and measured in in your growth. So our focus is primarily English-speaking countries in Europe, North America, and of course, Australia. We've got users in all the places we've launched. We're doing all the marketing activities that you would expect golf associations, Facebook, social media, Google. We're growing on all fronts, partnerships, growing those as much as we can and continuing to chat with people about that. And so, yeah, the traction's there, the growth is there, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing that with potential investors (laughs) this fall. (laughs) Nice, nice. Well, when we jump on our YouTube conversation or video chat, I certainly want to hear about the future, what you have in store. I know certain things you probably can't tell us right now, but I'm really excited to hear about the next level, what you've learned so far from all the feedback and the data that you've gathered from your users to see what the next feature that you'll be putting out there. So why don't we hold off on that right now? One question I did want to ask you though, as we finish up here, is more in the entrepreneurial space. So yourself, uh, with your background, especially with BMO Capital Markets, as far as innovation and entrepreneurship, I don't know how it is a BMO if they have a culture of what we call intrapreneurship or they encourage entrepreneurship inside of an organization. Some organizations in larger companies and corporations are better at it than others. 
So tell us about your entrepreneurial background. Are you, did you always have the entrepreneurial bug, even as a kid or a teenager or early on in your career? Or is this something that you developed later in, in life that you then turbocharged with the release and the development of Exonic Golf? So tell us a little bit about that with your connection to entrepreneurship. You know, that's a great question because when you think back on everything, I guess that entrepreneurial streak's always been there with me because I remember, and this, I mean, we're going way back now. <laughs> I remember as a young teenager, I, I learned how to do these, I don't know what they're called. You do them and you tie knots. They're colorful little bracelets out oh, of material. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. And they were big, big, big way back when. And so I learned how to do them from somebody and I found it that people were willing to pay for them. So right. I started this sort of summer thing where people I knew would be like, oh, you're making those? Can you may all pay you this? And so I just started making all these bracelets and making some money. It wasn't, it wasn't about like making lots of money. It was just like a little business. And I love doing it. And there was a demand for it. So I did. I think I started that bug early on. And then the whole idea about going into engineering, I love the idea of doing things first. <laughs> and we, I was the first person in my family, uh, male or female, doesn't matter, just first person in my family to do engineering and going down that road. And then it just intensified because then I ended up going and doing my MBA. And of course, there's more training there, right? And I did my CFA designation. There's more training there and more exposure. And then, of course, the trading floor at BMO. See, a lot of people don't maybe know this about the trading floor environment. But while it may be in a large financial institution, in and of itself, it's a very entrepreneurial atmosphere because it's like tons of small little businesses being run by like a handful of people okay. all in this big environment. And so you know, you're growing, you're responsible for wearing multiple hats in each of these businesses to market it, to grow it, to manage the finances. You're doing everything and you're working hard. <laughs> in a long yeah, case. Yeah. But it's great. It's great experience. And BMO, they were fantastic. Great company to work for, by the way. And I'm not doing a pitch. I don't get anything for saying that. They really were about fostering that idea of autonomy and responsible, obviously, autonomy. I mean, there are checks and balances. There has to be risk management, all of that, no doubt about it. But that idea of, hey, we want your ideas, bring them to the table, and fostering that entrepreneurial mindset. And then at the not-for-profit that I started, which was about the same time, it was 2015 was when that got officially started, but I started it back in 2013 with the idea. And so all of these things have come together and it's quite fantastic to culminate in, into what I'm doing today. And I'm using all the skills and experience that I've built in my entire life and career. It's incredible. I love this. But what will we see it on Dragon's Den here in Canada or Shark Tank in the US? I think that entrepreneurship is this young person's game that you've got to have that energy and pull all nighters and that's what you need to do and have not have that many responsibilities that you just hyper focus on this one thing. But yourself, very much like me, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but ourselves, we've had a career. I'll maybe call myself a seniorpreneur. I wouldn't dare do that to you because uh, <laughs> give, give, give me the look here. But okay. the fact you've established yourself in a career and you've learned so much mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you've also established all these relationships now to build this foundation, this social capital you have now, all those partnerships that you can reach out. You've cultivated that trust over decades. 
what can you say to entrepreneurs out there, both men and women, that have had careers in, let's say, traditional industries and they've got some idea and they're looking to take that first step? What would you suggest to them? How what would you encourage them to do to then validate or take that next step and get some courage to see if it's something that the market wants, like you found with mm-hmm. Exonic Golf? I don't have any regrets at all with anything I've done in my life. I'm a big believer in life is about the journey and not the destination. And uh-huh opportunities come and they come for reasons often time I believe in life and I would always regret them if I didn't try and pursue it and see but you do want to be responsible about it you want to take some measured approach and not just dive in head first and so yeah for anyone in a established career who's thinking of making the switch it's totally possible but you want to make sure you're doing your research before you jump ship or jump into it full force do exactly as we talked about do your customer discovery questions vet the idea go take some courses if you need to beef up on some part of your knowledge and just make sure that there's a product there there's a business there. there's people who would be willing to invest at some level anyway to start And then if all the boxes are ticked off and that's not going to take two days, it's going to take you some time to get through all that, then move forward. And obviously you want the support of your family, which I have. I have a wonderful support system of friends and family and that's important too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you, find out more about the nonprofit that you started in 2015, but why don't we hold off and we'll talk about that on the Mod Golf YouTube channel. And I want to see how that's informed the decisions that have led you to the creation of what you have now with Exonic Golf. But to finish up here, Eileen, why don't you let our listeners know where they can learn more about Exonic Golf, download the app and just learn more. Exonicgolf.com is the website and there's links to Google Play Store and uh, the Apple App Store there, but you don't have to go to the website, but I do encourage you. We've got a great product video, great user reviews video on there as well, and uh, with other how-to videos, lots of stuff there. But uh, you can go directly to the App Store and you type in Exonic space ITQ, so ITQ is the product name uh, in the search, and or do the same in the Google Play Store. And then you just download it from there. There's a 14-day free trial, so it is a, a freemium product, so you download it for free. It's funny because I think some people aren't maybe necessarily familiar with how uh, the subscription process works with Apple and Google. So Exonical has no control over that. That's their system. That's how it works. And so just I always like to let people know you're going to get these in-app purchase screens. You have to click a subscription period monthly or yearly. You're not paying for it. It's a 14-day free trial. But that's how it works. Then you get the access to the free trial and you can cancel anytime. It's all upfront and good. And I always encourage people, our email info at exonicgolf.com. If you have any questions about any of the process with the videos or anything at all, just reach out and our team will get back to you right away. We're very good at, at responding. Great. So as I always do in the show notes, I will include all the links you mentioned there to make it nice and easy for all of our listeners to find out more about Exonic Golf, download the app. I'll include your social media handles there also. And just so everybody knows, Exonic Golf is X-O-N-I-C, Exonic Golf. Hey, why don't we wrap it up there? I look forward to jumping on our YouTube video chat so we can learn more about you as an entrepreneur. We can learn more about the future of Exonic Golf and the other good things that you're doing. So, hey, why don't we leave it at that, Eileen? This has been amazing. I love the conversation. I know we've been looking to do this for some time now, and I'm glad we connected a few months ago, and now we finally made this happen as uh, another proud Canadian and an entrepreneur. 
the golf space, kindred spirit. Say, Eileen, thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Great. Thanks, Colin. Great to be here. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.